Morning everyone, I'm Jason, senior pastor here with my wife Bev, and if you are visiting this morning, uh, if you're our guest this morning, especially warm welcome to you, and again, those of you online live, um, wherever you are, half term or catching up, lovely to have you with us too. Um, we are continuing our series um, about encounters with Jesus, turn to Luke chapter 2 if you've got a Bible with you, um, and we're going to be reading from verses 22 to 38. Let me read those. When the time came for the purification rites required by the law of Moses, Joseph and Mary took him to Jerusalem, that's Jesus, to present him to the Lord. As it is written in the law of the Lord, every firstborn male is to be consecrated to the Lord and to offer a sacrifice in keeping with what is said of the Lord, um, the law of the Lord, a pair of doves and two young pigeons. Now, there was a man in Jerusalem called Simeon who was righteous and devout. He was waiting for the consolation of Israel, and the Holy Spirit was on him. It had been revealed to him by the Holy Spirit that he would not die before he had seen the Lord's Messiah. Moved by the Spirit, he went into the temple courts. When the parents brought in the child Jesus to do for him what the custom of the law required, Simeon took him in his arms and praised God, saying, Sovereign Lord, as you have promised, you may now dismiss your servant in peace, for my eyes have seen your salvation which you have prepared in the sight of all nations, a light for revelation to the Gentiles and the glory of your people Israel. The child's father and mother marveled at what was said about him. Then Simeon blessed them and said to Mary, his mother, this child is destined to cause the falling and rising of many in Israel and to be a sign that will be spoken against so that the thoughts of many hearts will be revealed and a sword will pierce your own soul too. There was also a prophet, Anna, the daughter of Peniel, of the tribe of Asher. She was very old. She had lived with her husband seven years after her marriage and then was a widow until she was 84. She never left the temple but worshipped night and day, fasting and praying. Coming up to them at that very moment, she gave thanks to God and spoke about the child to all who were looking forward to the redemption of Jerusalem. When Joseph and Mary had done everything required by the law of the Lord, they returned to Galilee. And the child grew up and became strong. He was filled with wisdom and the grace of God was upon him. So Lord, as we come to this encounter with you when you were eight days old, by your spirit would we experience you and would you multiply in us as you've been doing for 2,000 years everything that you have for us in your word and this encounter. Amen. So, <clears throat> we're in this series recap. I just want to do a quick recap about why we're doing this series. And the, the thing that we felt the Lord speak to the preaching team was about that many of us coming out of COVID, even though the sun is shining, there's a lot of overwhelm, a lot of tiredness, a lot of exhaustion, a lot of loss. And there are these times in scripture where we see people who, are face, who face much worse than us, who are utterly overwhelmed, but in a moment of encounter with God, they're transformed and changed. And there's a pivot that takes place. One of the ways I'll explain how, when I began this series, how a pivot works. The ball of your foot. Football players do it all the time. And we won't mention last night. <laughs> I don't follow football, but if any Liverpool fans are here, may the Lord bless you. Sorry. <laughs> bless you and protect you. Um, anyway, you've been quite greedy, I hear, as a football team. So um, anyway, I don't know anything about football. So, and I'm not looking at Tom, one of our trustees. Sorry, Tom. Or, and I should stop talking about football. <laughs> it's just hard. Not. I see why he's off. <laughs> I see why people do it now. Um, anyway, where was I? Pivot. 
Football players, dancers, can take all of the force going in one direction and on the ball of their foot, use that and pivot and swing around. And that's why we talk about pivoting. And that you see this in encounters with God, forces and dynamics in people's lives that are taking them in one direction. Once they encounter the Lord, there is a pivot on him and a turn and an utter transformation. Scripture calls that repentance, to turn and go the opposite way. And, and, I, and I talked when I began this series, you see Paul in the New Testament talking about struggling with God's mighty power at work in him. And there was a thought, wasn't it? If we think of all the other things that are powerfully at work in us, is it the power of God in us? Because that's what Jesus comes to bring. And at this moment in history uh, that we go into, I believe as I look at scripture, as I look at church history, that God has for his people, the people that know him and people that don't know him, to encounter him. And he wants to do something very different than what we're seeing in our news headlines with us and pivot us and transform us and change us. So this last series, if you're getting something from it, go and catch up the other ones online. They've been amazing. Um, I began it and I talked about what are we pouring our, where's the force in our life being poured out? And if we can notice that and, and we can pivot on Jesus with that. We had um, Paul who shared about how with the story of Nathaniel that Jesus knows everything about us, where we are and where we're going and who we could be if we go to him and have him reveal that to us. And then we have Peter, story of Zacchaeus, um, up a tree and the wonderful metaphor that God's growing a tree. Do you remember that one? A few people have said that to me, God's growing a tree. God has been growing a tree for you. Will we climb it? If we don't climb the tree that God's been growing, we won't see Jesus and we won't hear him speak to us. Will we climb the tree? And then Sam last week talked about, um, with the story of Stephen and our heart's desire, and he drew on uh, it was such a good illustration from Pirates of the Caribbean, where there's a compass that points to what you love the most. And that's actually what scripture tells us, that our hearts point to what we already really love. And that question, what, what are we loving? So, great series, and now we get to Anna and Simeon. And today's pivot encounter is two people, two ordinary people, not powerful or influential or rich, um, who are behind the scenes, the extras in God's story. And, and I hope you take away from this today that there is something wonderful here about these people that encounter Jesus, baby Jesus, eight-day-old Jesus, who were not expecting what happened to them that day. But something was going on in their lives that God saw and God partnered with. And that's what we're going to look at, that there is a pivot for us in the ordinariness of life that is available to every single one of us. And it's revealed, I believe, in this story with Anna and Simeon. So I'm going to share five sh things with you. I'm going to do something else today, actually. You're getting a ministry update from me, but we're putting that together in my talk. Is that all right? So we're doing that all together. Right. Buckle up. Let me ask you a question. How did Jesus access God's presence, direction, words, and power? He... He prayed. I'm glad you went straight there. You're a smart lot, aren't you? <laughs> smart cookies. See, people are under the misapprehension. Jesus was, and we know he was fully God. Well, that's how. It was obvious. He's the son of God. He had the power of the universe behind him. Philippians chapter 2 and other passages of scripture tell us that Jesus became fully like us. 
he divested himself of his divinity somehow and became fully and utterly human and depended on God in the way that we do. So how did Jesus access revelation, power, presence, faith? How did Jesus pivot day to day with the frustrations that he bumped into in the overwhelm he had? And there's lots in scripture. Jesus is tired, hungry, people trying to kill him, running away from them, disciples driving him nuts. <laughs> you know, Jesus probably going, Father, this would be all right if it wasn't for my followers. I'm sure he was doing that on a regular basis. How did Jesus do that? You got straight to the answer, prayer. Don't make the mistake with Jesus of thinking it's because he was God. It was simple. No, he became just like us. That's the miracle of the incarnation. He enters fully into human life. And what is available to him, we saw in the Gospel of John that we were preaching recently, has impacted me so greatly. The bit later in John where Jesus says, it's good for me to go. Because if I go, what I've been experiencing can be released to you. Oh, there's an amen there. <laughs> Jesus said, it's not enough for you 12 going around with me and us picking where we're going to go and hoping that crowds gather. Jesus is like, I need to return to the Father so that you can do by the Spirit what I have done. Fully human. Can you imagine if you went through the Bible and took out all the instances of prayer? How much would be left in your Bible of God doing something? It'd be a very different Bible, wouldn't it? I mean, we could argue, could get scripture out today, that prayer is the single most important thing to do. I mean, so many verses. God says, if you humble yourselves and seek me and pray to me, what will happen? You'll find me. Time after time, God says, Talk to me. And if you do, I'll bring things into your world and into your life. Prayer. What do we see Jesus doing again and again and again? No matter how busy he was or tired he was or frustrated he was, what did Jesus do? He went to pray. He went to talk to the Father. Can you imagine Jesus' ministry without prayer? There would be none. There'd be none. Prayer. So would you agree with me that prayer is the most important thing to practice? You're like, always oh, tricking me now. <laughs> you know I'm tricking you, don't you? Because you know what's coming next. So why do we do it so little and so infrequently? It's the most important thing. It's the way that we access the Father, the way Jesus did. It's the way that we hear from the Lord. It's the way that his power and presence comes into our lives. It's the way that God changes our world and us. And yet we do it so little. It's amazing, isn't it? Why? Well, I think we're going to learn something about prayer that I hope the Lord will encourage us in and we'll start to pray and discover prayer because I believe that one of the things that God is doing, he's been talking about lighting a fire in his church and a movement around the world at this time. And one of the ways he wants to do it is he's saying to his people, pray. There's a passage, um, Isaiah 55 verse 6. Seek the Lord while he may be found. Call on him when he is near. It's one of those contingent passages in scripture. Yes, God is everywhere at all times. But in this scripture, and at different times in history, God is closer than at others for certain things. And I think this is one of those moments where the Lord says, I am so near. 
Seek me now, not when it's all over. So, prayer. Um, So let's look. Four things that we might learn about prayer, if it's so important, from this story. First thing is, um, on my notes here is the heading is, how's your attention span? What's the span of your attention? Um, There's a book, a best-selling book called The Attention Merchants, The Epic Scramble to Get Inside Our Heads. And it was by a guy who produced a book before that as a marketing person that was a multi-million bestseller that told people, told marketing and online and media people, um, a book that came out a little while ago, and this guy's written two books, and his first book was, here is how you get inside people's heads. Here's how you take what we're starting to understand in behavioral science about human beings and psychology, here is how we manipulate people, grab their attention, scare them, make them angry, control their consciousness so that we can monetize them. This guy made millions from that book. And then he wrote another book 10 years later where he went, oh my goodness, what are we doing? And his other book reveals that. And he's like, We are doing something awful as a marketing person in the world with technology and marketing and news and media. And he describes things this way. He says, we live at a time where we are trying to fleece the consciousness of human beings, monetize them, instead of cultivating them towards anything good. That's what we face. There's been different things in history. This is the one you and I face. It's one of the reasons we don't pray because our attention is captured by so many other things. I mean, look what we do with the TV, online, our devices, and we are trained by them. It's a habit, and we repeat them. I've found myself, I will justify using my phone watching a program, because I go on to IMDB. Where was that actor? What did I see them in before? Yeah? Some of you do that? And then have you fallen down the rabbit hole of, oh, I'll just check Facebook and my emails and my WhatsApp messages, and then you have to hit pause and rewind? Am I the only person that ever does that? And as a spiritual discipline, I felt the Lord say, put your phone down. Just enjoy the program. So I watched Star Trek the other day. It was great. Anyway. I have started to watch the credits at the beginning of a TV program and the intro music because I read an article that talked about how our attention spans are getting so bad we fast forward through even that and it's supposed to set the scene and draw you in. So just as it's just like a spiritual exercise, I'm like, I'm going to enjoy the theme tune as an act of rebellion (laughs) against the skip. Because if we keep skipping, keep missing, keep fast forwarding, it does stuff to us. That means we can't be present. And in this story, we see a tension span, an immense attention span. Anna is 84 years old. In fact, in the Greek, we're not sure. Um, She is either 84 years old and has been there for 63 years. She would have been married almost certainly at 14, was a widow after seven years, 21 to 84, okay? Or... The Greek is ambiguous. She might have been so old that she had been in the temple for 84 years. Either way, turning up every day to pray for 63 or 84 years is a long time. A long time for her attention. 
And Simeon has spent his whole life praying and worshipping with that Holy Spirit upon him. And I'm going to focus mostly on Anna for the rest of this morning. So here's the question. How long can you and I be on your own, our own, with our thoughts towards God, without something in our hands? I think one of the reasons we don't pray is the idea of turning up to pray for an hour. Feels like eternity, doesn't it? I got to watch Hamilton the other night. And I was like, it's nearly three hours long. I was like, crikey. And I don't really like musicals. Um, I watched Chicago and hated it. Um, Blasphemy, I know. But you know what? After the second song, I was really uncomfortable for the first two songs. I was like, what is this? Oh, this is about a real person. I had no idea. Okay. Oh, it's rap. Okay. I had no idea. Oh, it's, I've got no room for my legs. I'll put my feet around my head. It's like, oh, okay. But then something happened to my attention. The next two and a half hours went like that. You see, the idea that we have attention spans like goldfish is true and not true. It's what we give ourselves to and how we do it. When our attention is captured by something so powerful, what a powerful story. It held my attention. I didn't look at my watch at all. What's your attention like? If we were to be honest, that's the first thing we learn from this story. This attention, this jarring stories. There are many in scripture that aren't about 15 minutes or half an hour Zoom call meetings but decades of attention for God to do the biggest and most important things that he wants to do in our lives. So how's your attention? Second thing, we go where we look. We are hardwired. These same behavioral scientists um, have been learning and discovering more and more about the brain and physiology, psychology and hormones and how it all works together. And even our eyes, the way they're designed, We go where we look. Kids learn that on a bike. If you don't want to fall off a bicycle, kids have to learn to just focus on where they want to go. Don't look down at the floor that you don't want to hit, because guess what happens to every kid that looks at the floor? Smack. If you're riding a motorbike, one of the first things they tell you is don't look at the car you want to avoid, otherwise you will go straight into it. Pilots in aircraft that are doing them manually learn don't look at the ground that you don't want to hit. Okay? Everything in us is hardwired to go where our attention is and what we look at. Golf and sport, but more than that, life. We, whatever we look at and give our attention to, everything else in our lives aligns around that. The more you look at this thing here, the more the whole of your life will align around whatever you're looking at. Your heart, your soul, your mind, your body, your time, your energy, your money, and your physical presence. It will do. Again, back to Sam. Last week. Where does your compass in life point to is another way to phrase this. Now, Anna has had decades of praying and looking. And as Anna has prayed for decades, we'd get no sense that her attention has grown any less. It's grown stronger. It's not in this story. She's not like, oh, right, one more week of this and I'm done. Even 63 years later, she's just clocking up and doing what she's done for 63 years. Her attention has gotten stronger. 
And I think this is another moment in history for us to be honest about. It's the place to start with God. He loves us. Again, the whole topic on his own, God says, just start by being honest with me. Just start there. I read a lovely prayer this week about loving God more. And then there was this beautiful prayer from from an earlier saint in history. And the prayer is, Lord, help me to want to want you more. It's one of the most basic of Christian prayers. Lord, that would be nice, but I don't know if I even want it. I want to want it. Start there, says God. Be honest with me. Open your heart to me. What we love... This is what scripture says, and this is what science has caught up with in the last 20, 30 years. What you and I love is what we do. Follow me? If you love something, you'll do something around it. And if you do something, it will shape what you love. And then you'll love it more, and then you'll do it more. That's how it happens. That's how human beings happen. The only question is, what are our hearts towards? And what are we doing? because that will, we'll get more of that in life. And Anna had gone to the temple as a widow every day and prayed and prayed and prayed for the Messiah to come. Isn't that interesting? In here, I'm sure she prayed for many other things, survival, food, she was a widow. But the thing most on her heart was not herself. It was the Messiah. We go where we look. Um, And isn't it amazing that prayer is not clickbait? Prayer that we see in Scripture is not about titillation or offense or anger. Um, Some people try to turn prayer into those kinds of things, like name it and claim it, yeah? Blab it and grab it. You heard of that kind of prayer? Just go and take some random verse in Scripture and just randomly claim it, and then I can have whatever I want. No, no. That's not what prayer is about. Prayer is, real prayer reveals where our hearts are and what we desire and for God to come and speak to us and bring his desires to us and his purposes. That's always the way that you know real prayer. It's not a slot machine to get something. It's also not the kind of prayer, which is the one that we most often practice and I have for many, many years. In case of emergency, break glass, help. Thankfully, our God is gracious. And he's like, I was wondering when you were, oh, now that's happened. Okay, let's talk. Oh, bye. <laughs> and he's like, I want, I want to carry on talking with you. Real prayer is the opposite of fleecing our consciousness, monetizing it, and cultivating us away from the good. Real prayer panders to the best of who we are and grows it. Have any of you met someone who's prayed a lot? I mean, like, really a lot. I don't mean the name it and claim it to make millions. I mean the people that just hang out with God a lot. What happens to them? They generally become more amazing, don't they? Become more of them. I got to speak at Margaret Alp's funeral, and I talked about how Margaret, because of her love for Jesus, became more Margaret, not less Margaret. If Margaret wasn't a Christian... Margaret would have still been amazing, but she became more Margaret. And now, she's even more Margaret. She's with her greatest hope and desire in life. In the midst of that, she was an amazing mother, but she was a better mother because she was focused on Jesus. Her heart was towards him. More, more. 
again, diagnostic. I like this word. If we were honest at this moment, on this topic, in Scripture, because one of the things here is prayer, and say, when do I pray? What is the compass of my life pointed towards? Where is my attention? Um, I got to, Bev and I got to speak um, the other day in passing to someone who's a friend. Spiritual director spends a lot of time praying. That's just what they do, okay? Um, I had a meeting with her once, and she said, sorry I was late. She was spending so long in prayer, she'd forgotten the time. How rude. I remember being slightly irked, and I was like, no, because I want you to help me hear from God. So you've just been spending time with him. Oh, cool. And then she said, yeah, I was praying for you. I was like, oh, okay. <laughs> Oops, that's a good excuse. Now, the reason I value this friend is not because she's got great books about how to pray effectively. It's because she spends time listening to God. And Bev and I were talking, and we were trying to get some guidance and discernment on something going on in our lives, and, you know, just shared it with her. And she said, what did she say? God will guide you. The Lord will show you. I mean, in the hands of most Christians, that's a platitude, isn't it? Don't worry. Pat you on the head. God will show you. Of course he'll show me. Yeah? But when someone who prays a lot says, don't worry, the Lord will show you. Here's what I actually heard in that moment. Okay? What I heard was all the words behind the words. I heard God speak to me and say, Jason, I, the Lord of creation, who am in charge of your life and this woman's life, as she speaks this truth to you, know this. You work for me. You serve me. I see you. I love you. And I will guide you. Will you trust me? <gasps> yes, Lord. All that from one phrase because of who she was. And I was like, wow. Prayer. Prayer. Where is my attention? And her prayer helped me turn my heart towards the Lord in prayer and realize that I was anxious and apprehensive instead of trusting him. Turning up, number four or five, versus occasionalism. I mean, we do live at a time, don't we, where it is seemingly almost impossible for human beings to repeatedly do something every week. Okay? I remember when I was in charge, of, I was in a motorcycle group till before COVID and doing training. And even there, it doesn't matter where you are in the world. It's not just the church. The idea that people would come to something regularly that they said was the most important thing in their life, oh, life's too busy. Can't possibly do that. We, we are the generation that can't turn up to anything regularly because it might kill us. Apparently. <laughs> Mightn't it? Might to turn up something once a week has become impossible. Why? Seriously, we have to ask ourselves that question. How much of your life is spent juggling things around to make things fit that no longer fit? If we were busy before COVID, I've seen absolutely no sign of any difference after COVID. In general, we're trying to ram in more, not less. I mean, maybe what we would do is another diagnostic and stop and say, what do I turn up regularly for? And how do I? Because we do. We have the same number of days in the week, the same number of time. I have the same amount of time in the week as you do. 
And there's a lot of my week that I choose what I turn up for and where I am and what my attention is on. And that's the first place to start and be honest. What are we turning up for? Why can't we meet God daily? Why? Have you ever been too busy to pray? I have. And I'm a pastor. You might say, I get paid to pray. I used to pray. I would always get up and pray. I would pray for you guys and I have my list and I pray for the church and I pray for ministries and I pray for things. And two years ago, the Lord said, stop. He said, I want you to talk to me. Stop checking in with a list for everybody else. I went, Lord, but what about everyone in church? He's like, I'll take care of them. Do you see the irony? I've discovered for myself something wonderful in prayer in the last two years just by being with the Lord and at first, 15 minutes and then longer and longer until I just could not wait to meet him. And realized that my attention span and what I could turn up for, we can always find time. We can find time for the TV, our smartphones, social, sports, holidays, parties. But we don't seem to be able to find time to turn up to meet God daily, weekly. And notice the alibis that we give ourselves. This is one of the most, I'm going to be... We had a wonderful prayer meeting this morning. And this is not to chastise anybody. This is just, this, I'm speaking to myself as much as another. We have our alibis. Again, I've been, I read books on behavioral psychology and leadership. Human beings are great. We tell ourselves alibis all the time. And you know what? The enemy comes along and he loves to, to tap into those. It's the way the enemy lies to us. He takes things that are true and turns them into a lie to change our behavior. Anything. Do you think, could you imagine what our world would be like if every Christian woke up tomorrow and said, I'm going to pray every day like this prayer. What would happen to our world? No wonder Satan says, I'd rather keep you on this. Um, our alibis. Here's the favorite one. I'm too busy. How many use that one? I'm too busy. It's just, you can't go anywhere near it, can you? Or this, the, the other lie, an alibi. I'm too tired. Oh, sorry, I'm too tired. Wow. Too busy, too tired. You see, we want God to speak when we turn up once in a while with him in an emergency. But we end up missing out on becoming people who hear God lots. Now, again, I can't invite you to somewhere that I haven't started to go on my own. And I'm telling you my prayer story, not because I'm some amazing person, but I've been discovering something in prayer. My first prayers were, Lord, I don't know how to pray. Teach me to pray. And it went, good, we'll start there. And I started reading books by people who knew how to pray. And something happened in my heart. I journal every day now. I hardly ever used to journal. And I hope no one ever reads my journals from before two years ago, because they used to say literally this. They were so profound. They would say, it is six months since I last wrote in my journal. <laughs> that was my journaling. You, do you done that? Yeah, 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 yeah. Or, this week was so bad, I wanted to kill myself. Because things would be difficult. That's when I'd write in my journal. Now, I write in my journal every day. And I've been going, there are so many things in my journal now. I go back a year ago and I forget the things that God told me on that day. There are so many. I've gone from sometimes hearing from God to hearing from him almost every single day in a way that I never could have imagined. 
And because of what did I do? Did I become a better person? No. I decided to talk to the Lord and listen to him. Prayer, prayer, prayer. And you see this in Luke 2. This faithfulness and consistency. It doesn't say, on the day that Joseph and Mary took Jesus to the temple, there happened to be a widow called Anna who said, do you know what? I'm going to go to church today for the first time in 84 years. I'm so glad I did. I met the Messiah. Do you notice that? Why did God choose to present the Messiah to her? Because this woman, who was nobody, had done something that other people wouldn't do. Pray for 84 years. I, I can't wait to meet this woman in eternity and go, what happened? Did it start when you were like 25, 30, you were just turning up? Did, did an angel appear or the Holy Spirit or did something happen and you got a burden to pray for the Messiah? And what happened? What kept you going as you prayed for the Messiah to come and come? And I suspect she's going to say, I heard the scriptures every day in the temple and I fell more in love with God and I asked for him for more of him in my life. And I just knew this Messiah. Oh, if he comes and we are to see him, he would change the world. And I already love him. And then she prayed more and more and more. And then isn't this the cool thing? God says, yes. Do you know there are two-thirds more angels and angelic beings than demons? And I think they were all lined up on that day when Jesus is taken to the temple. And they are clapping and cheering this woman who prayed for 84 years or 63 years. Faithfulness. Last one. Anna's reward. So Anna and Simeon represent people, ordinary people. Expectant, waiting, praying, present. The Bible is so often, we've, we've had this mentioned by a few of the people on the preaching team. I, for instance, I mentioned in John. John tells us explicitly that if he wrote down everything that Jesus had said, it would fill up more than every book in the world, yeah? There are only 21 days of the life of Jesus in the book of John. And he had a public ministry of three to four years. Never mind the years before, when he was growing up. So when there is detail in the Bible... Seemingly mundane, wasted detail. It's there because it's important. And there's so much information here in this story of why they went to church that day and what was happening and who was there and why they were there. The mundane was the cause of what happened next. I think I might mention this earlier in my talk because I got too excited about it. Mary and Joseph, angels appear, dreams, miracles. Wow. But these words that they got from the Lord were from ordinary people in the temple, in the church service, in the worship, in the ministry time. They didn't stay at home with Jesus on their own and say, oh, we don't need all those people in church anymore. They would have missed this moment. You see, it's a two-way street when we pray and we do things with other people. There's what God does through our prayers and speaking to us, and then there's what he does for people who encounter us. They take their eight-day-old baby. And I wonder, I, I, history is quite silent and scripture is quite silent. And commentators wonder why. 
but there are not lots of stories. We've got one story in the Gospels. You remember it when Jesus was a child and something happened? He was 12 in the temple. It would seem that what's most likely is Mary and Joseph had Jesus and then most of the time, their lives, they had the Messiah growing up in their home, the Son of God, but their lives were as stressful and as busy and as tiring as yours is. They didn't have angelic visitations every day. And Jesus grew up. And Jesus found his faith and understanding of the Father through his parents and his church community. That's where Jesus had his faith formed. The ordinary. Now we often think that Anna in this story gets her reward decades later, but she has already had her reward. Her reward was to pray and talk to the God that she loved and know that he loved her. And the icing on the cake is to see Jesus. So, there is, in this story, a pivot to pray. And I want to finish with this. Can the worship team come back? No? Oh, Bev's going to lead us in a moment. Okay. (laughs) She's in charge. So brothers, sisters, friends, guests, let's begin there. Let's pay attention to what we're already paying attention to. Let's pay attention to our alibis at this moment, the excuses that we make. Just be honest about them before God. But God, I'm really tired and see what he says. I'm really busy, I'm really stressed, I'm really... And see what the Lord says. He loves us. Start there. But will we pray? And... As I came to this talk and preparing for this talk, this is our ministry update. There are some invitations now. You can respond to this. If you're moved by this to pray, here are some things you can do to help. Firstly, 9.45, every Sunday morning, turn left as you come in there. We pray. Come and join us for prayer. And if you're thinking, I know some of you have got kids, that's impossible. But some of you lose half an hour's sleep, a line on a Sunday. See what God does. Come and pray. Um, our prayer room at the Dolphin is reopening. Um, Our lovely prayer room, closed in COVID, lovely space that's being um, set up again for prayer, is reopening, and you can book that. It's open 24 hours, and you can go punch in a code, go and sit down. It is a beautiful space full of the presence of Lord where people have prayed there. That's open. Go on your own take friends with you, go with your small group members, that's opening on the sex. And last invitation to prayer is we're going to start, we're going to do it in June and July, and we'll take August off, and then we'll pick up again. We're going to have 24 hours of prayer. And we're going to do that and invite you to sign up to pray on your own or with others at home or together. And you could do it at the Dolphin, do it at your home, okay? But there'll be a little rotor that goes out and asks people to sign up and take a slot, and you can pray at the same time as other people. Um, Because we believe this. Did any of you believe what I just shared? God calls us to pray. Um, We're going to pray for two things on the June date. I think it's the 10th, Friday the 10th or the 11th, um, in the 24 hours. We're going to pray about facilities 
for breakthrough because we feel that the Lord's been, we're hitting some roadblocks in terms of potential places we've been exploring and, the, and we just need a breakthrough. So we're going to pray for breakthrough that people that could would respond to us and be open to us. We're also going to pray for the Friendship Festival. We had that last year. Because of the Friendship Festival we did, a thousand people in our community came to it. Because of the Friendship Festival we did last year, it's happening in about 15 other places in our country because we did it here. And we are believing that 2,000 people are going to come to it. And by the way, all you have to do is turn up and have fun. And people go, what kind of church would throw a party in our community? And we want to pray that people know about it and pray that people come and pray that God's spirit is poured out. That's worth praying for. So watch that.